0: The root of mo- most human conflict is the fear of emotional pain. And we're going to have emotional pain. It's part of life. Now, I don't mean abuse. Just normal things like the fear that my needs don't matter because you chose to go to bed when I wanted to stay up late and talk. You know, I mean, that's just a, a, a the, the norm. That's what I'm talking Normal differences actually create a kind of emotional pain that we need to learn to embrace and process. So when I talk about emotional pain, I mean the pain around things like rejection, abandonment, being ignored, feeling like your needs don't matter, your voice doesn't matter, being overcontrolled. These are the core fears that motivate most people.
1: Hi, I'm Talia, and welcome to the Rebel Love Podcast, where each week I'll bring you a new episode exploring love, sex, and relationships. Join me as together we question, explore, and strive to understand. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Rebel Love Podcast. Today, we have one of my favorite psychologists and relationship coaches, Dr. Susan Campbell. This is Dr. Campbell's second episode with us. Um, uh, Dr. Campbell is a psychologist that has worked as a corporate trainer and relationship coach for 55 years, a former professor at the University of Massachusetts, a frequent guest lecturer at Harvard, Stanford, and UCLA. She's the author of 12 books on the topic of relationships and human communication, and today she's here to share her latest book, From Triggered to Tranquil, How Self-Compassion and Mindful Presence Can Transform Relationship Conflict and Heal. Childhood wounds. Welcome, Dr. Campbell. Thank you
0: again for being here with us. Thank you, Talia. I'm so happy to be back with you. Me
1: too. You're one of my favorite guests as always. We've done a few interviews together and I always enjoy them. So thank you again for being here. Today we're going to talk about some some themes from your book. So coping with traumatic events that are triggering you in your relationships. Um, Before we get to that though, can you explain a little bit of like what prompted you to write this book in particular?
0: Okay. The book is called From Triggered to Tranquil. And what prompted me to write this book is I see so many people, friends and clients who criticize themselves, who beat up on themselves when they feel frustrated, angry, upset. In other words, when they get triggered and they they kind of maybe even lose it a little bit or shut down and can't cope, but they get so critical of themselves. And I have discovered with all my work with clients, that these trigger reactions, you know, these upsets that just flare up sometimes like a knee-jerk thing, they are really the doorway to deeper healing and deeper self-compassion if we know how to work with them. So I want to make the world a more compassionate place. And I think self-compassion is the first step.
1: I think there's some similar themes to this discussion to about then to our last one in that all of the work that I feel like you talk about, you have to be like really aware. So we're like, we're triggered. We have a triggered moment because a couple of people are kind of spring into mind for me. who kind of tend yeah. to fly off the handle. I'm not friends with them, but I know who they are. And, and I, and I, I guess where I'm, where I, from where I'm sitting, I kind of feel like those people would be very difficult for them to acknowledge those mm-hmm. triggers or, like, um, I guess, recognize that that's a, that's a moment of, could be a moment of growth. How do, we, how do we kind of prompt those people? Or if we are one of those people, how do we be aware?
0: Yes. So I wrote this other book about triggers, that <laughs> was especially for couples, but I neglected to address in that book, that book was called Five Minute Relationship Repair. And I neglected to emphasize how important it is just to accept that we do get triggered. And that's that's kind of what you're saying. Some people would not admit that they got triggered. They wouldn't be able to be aware. Mm-hmm. But I think that's because we've got this association with being triggered with kind of like being crazy or something like that, or, or like odd, or there's something wrong with you. And so in this book, I help people realize the origins of triggers in the nervous system, and how every single one of us gets triggered sometime, even if it doesn't look like no door slamming, that kind of thing. So I've put a lot more emphasis on acceptance. There's a whole chapter, there's a quiz. I'm, I'm just trying to indoctrinate people from all different levels here about the fact that it's really kind of an interesting, good thing to be aware of when you're triggered. First of all, because you can learn to stop that automatic freight train that's gotten going in your nervous system. You can learn to stop it. You can learn to do the inner work that I was calling the self-compassion work, and you can learn to actually heal the roots of your triggers, the childhood pain that never got fully addressed or the childhood needs that never got fully met you can actually heal yourself and rewire your brain. So there's a lot of benefits from admitting that, yep, yeah, I lost it there for a minute, but I can get back and I can get back fairly quickly once I know the tools.
1: Mm-hmm. I like that I, again, like the, 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 kind of the ego getting in the way comes up for me, but I, but I feel like it's kind of easier for us to be honest with ourselves first, right? Then honest with somebody else.
0: Yeah, you almost have, to be honest with yourself. Uh, Otherwise, you're, I mean, honest with yourself about whatever we're talking about, like the fact that, yeah, I am kind of sensitive to criticism. That would be an example of being honest with myself, admitting Mm -hmm. my sensitivities. Because for so many kids when they're young, you're too sensitive, you're too needy, stop crying, stop bothering me. All of those messages then have us feel like there's something wrong with the fact that well, my level of sensitivity is just whatever it is. And there's all different levels of sensitivity, degrees right. with us humans. We're not all just within one narrow range. And that is a tough thing for some of us to accept if we're more on the one extreme or the other, extremely tough, you know, like nothing bothers me. That can even be a problem because it can create problems in your relationships. Like, yeah, totally. You, know, you go, wait, hey, what's wrong with you? And, the the truth is, nothing wrong with that person. It's yeah. just you were so unaware of, of where he or she was at, you know. So yeah. on, on the two ends of the spectrum, very sensitive or very insensitive, sometimes we compare ourselves to others, and we often compare ourselves as, oh, I'm not enough, I'm not normal. And the truth is there's a whole range of sensitivity, and that's what I want to help promote too is, we're all unique.
1: Yeah. It's, I, I kind of find that word interesting, normal, because there isn't a normal. Like, you know, there's a typical, I guess, there's uh-huh. a typical of, of like, if you take a sample size of a million humans, here's uh-huh. what typically happens. But there's no normal. It, 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 I, I find it kind of strange that people still use that word in relation to ourselves.
0: You know, the word, the word norm comes from statistics and, okay, in any statistical sample of people there's you know more people will gravitate toward this middle, which is what they call the norm. but right. the statistics people forget there's a whole range beyond the this is called the normal curve. you know most of the people fall within this, but then out here, there's a lot a lot, a lot of us who mm. are not right in that middle
1: yeah, and, and that's what makes it so. Sound- fun and amazing, isn't
0: it? Yeah, and that's how we learn and grow from being with people who are different from ourselves.
1: Yeah. Is it it possible then to to have healthy relations with someone who's really different to us if we can learn
0: these kinds of things that trigger them? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a little more of a challenge sometimes when there are differences in terms of like how you like to spend your time or lifestyle preferences and, and certainly some differences like, you know, do we want to have a child together? One says right. yes, one says no. Those are kind of irreconcilable differences, I would say. You know, don't don't try to work those out yep. <laughs> with a marriage counselor. I mean, okay, it happens, though, and then you might do your best. But some differences are better left, you know, pick somebody else if you're talking about mate selection. But most differences are more things like levels of sensitivity. Right. Of, of like two criticism, for example, or two feeling left out of the crowd. These are kind of normal things that concern people. You know, do I belong? Uh, does another person kind of get me or understand me? Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to belong. Everyone wants to be gotten. And we have different levels of sensitivity to when we think we're not. And so that can be the fascinating thing about being with somebody who's very different from you on that dimension. And that's the, that's the dimension that tends to cause the most issues in intimate relationships and even friendships.
1: Yeah, I, I would imagine if you're, say, with someone who's very casual and mm-hmm. you're not so casual. But having said that, I've had people say, you know, people say to me, oh, you're, um, you're this or that, like you're strong in this area. And then they mm-hmm. think that you never hurt. So then no one asks you if you're okay. You know, and that's equally um, as kind of I, I don't know what the word is. Equally as upsetting, maybe, That'd be triggering. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. You know, even if you are relatively casual about slights, emotional slights, you know, you realize well that that kind of thing happens. Those kind of people, we can accept ourselves, but sometimes we get triggered because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of one of those people, you know, I, I come across pretty together. And so I, a person won't ask me how I'm doing or like, take the trouble to invite me to something or to invite me to share my feelings. They figure, well, you know, if if Susan wants to come, she'll show up. If she wants to say she'll express. And so people like us, like my type, is what's called the avoidant attachment. And I talk about attachment styles in the book, and that really is a kind of dimension of sensitivity, your attachment style. So there's the more preoccupied, attached person who's quite often just looking. Does the other person like me? Are they thinking about me? And then there's the more detached, like what I'm saying, that I tend to be Mm -hmm. um, well If that, and so I'll I'll make the assumption sometimes if I'm if I'm until I've developed and grown I'll make the assumption that well if that person has a need they'll tell me that's what an avoidant would do just because we're going around not too concerned with the connection breaking the preoccupied is watching is that connection breaking the avoidant is sensitive to a different thing but we are sensitive. It's the connection breaking in a different way. It's them telling me that I did something wrong. Avoidance Mm. are are really fine as long as the other person isn't upset with them. Once somebody's upset with me, then I probably go into my head and start explaining or justifying or trying to change your mind. Mm. Whereas the preoccupied person, when they're triggered, They'll be pursuing and prodding and asking questions. So <laughs> avoidant, when, they're, when they're triggered, they can come across defensive, and the preoccupied person, they can come across as kind of needy. Okay, mm. those, those are pejorative labels. Right. But that's, you know, in common parlance, that's what you see. But those two kinds of people have so much to learn from each other and they make really, really good partnerships once they learn how to do this inner work together and not blame each other. Right. For their uh, misunderstandings, the misunderstandings, right. are due to the different ways of processing connection. You know, wow, that felt disconnecting to me, but um, boy, to you, you seem to not even notice that. You know, they both care about the relationship, but they put different things as more important.
1: I, I love, I always love talking to you because you put so much emphasis on us doing the work ourselves. And if, if we're in a partnership and our partner's doing the work and we're doing the work, we can talk about it and use that common language and we can mm-hmm. move through the journey together. Uh, when it becomes difficult is when your partner's not willing to work through the journey with you. Then I, I guess perhaps you might, what are our
0: options? Rethinking the partnership. You might have to say this is so important to me. I mean, if this is true for you, it's so important to me for us to be doing some inner work so we can get beyond blaming each other from our for our differences If there's any blaming in the space, you've got to be able to do inner work because blaming is just putting the problem somewhere where it doesn't belong right, and you're going to need some coaching or a self-help book like mine mm-hmm. to, learn, oh, how do, how do I stop blaming and start learning together? Mm-hmm. And so I'm, if, if I'm in a blaming relationship, my partner blames me every, every time he, he gets his button pushed, I would say, this is so important to me to have a healthy relationship that I need for you to come to couples counseling with me. Because sometimes a person who's resistant to therapy, they won't go to individual, but they will go to couples. And mm, so okay. really lean on them, really lean on them. And a, a good couples counselor knows how to deal with a resistant spouse. Okay. I've had plenty of resistant spouses, and after about one session, they're just as talkative and disclosing as the partner who dragged them in. So don't be afraid to drag your partner to couples counseling. No, lean on them, even, you know, eventually you might have to make it a condition of staying in the relationship, but that's your choice.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, I was just saying to my friend, I would not date a man or a person who wasn't open to therapy. Like, I don't mind if you're not going to therapy, but if you're not open to it, then that's, that's an issue for me. me because it, it's like, where, where do you go from here? If you, can't, if you can't work through it together and
0: put effort in, then you're just spinning your wheels, really, right? But in the beginning, a lot of people think, or a certain type of person at least, thinks we ought to be able to do this ourselves and that sort of thing. And then almost every couple, after a while, they're going to need a little bit of help working through some of the knots because Mm -hmm. it's really, is hard to understand a person who has a very different personality style. Right, right. And it can lead, different personality styles can lead to a feeling of mistrust. Mm. Because my foreground, let's, let's say a difference in terms of uh, de- dealing with physical safety, you know? So my foreground is always, oh, be physically safe and so forth. And, and, and you're very much of a risk taker and you have a motorcycle and this or that. You no. Know? So le- learning how to talk about what, you know, what that difference means to each of us. And the values under underneath this, we can we can usually work out a lifestyle that will accommodate both people. But you sometimes you know really need to get to the deeper layers of it, which often has to do with things like core childhood developmental needs, like my needs aren't important, or people are always telling me what to do. These are childhood emotional complexes that we grow up with. So it's not just I'm a risk taker and I'm a safety oriented person. What's the real issue is do you care about me and do you care about my needs and do I have a voice and can I be heard? Okay, so let's talk about that. Let's talk
1: about these triggers. You, you talked about the root of most human conflict in the book. Let's, let's talk about that.
0: What do you think it is? Well, the root of mo- most human conflict is the fear of emotional pain and we're going to have emotional pain part of life. Now, I don't mean abuse. I'm not saying I mean, we we should fear abuse or, you know, destructive things, but right. just normal things lo- like the fear that my needs don't matter because you chose to go to bed when I wanted to stay up late and talk, you know? Right. I mean, that's just a, a the, the nor- that's what I'm talking. Normal right. differences actually create a kind of emotional pain That we need to learn to embrace and process. So, when I talk about emotional pain, I mean the pain around things like rejection, abandonment, being ignored, feeling like your needs don't matter, your voice doesn't matter, being over controlled. These are the core fears that motivate most people. Most people have unfinished childhood business because they didn't get enough love or attention to feel loved so they're going to have a fear of not of not being loved of not being good enough almost everybody has a little little bit of that in their personality and some people have it pretty well handled by adulthood but an awful lot of us still have some un- unfinished childhood business oh yeah and so <laughs> it's the fear that that old unfinished childhood pain of feeling Oh, I was standing at the school. My father was supposed to pick me up. I'm only five years old, and he forgot. I've actually heard stories like this, Talia. No, that's probably an innocent reason on the part of the father or something. Not like he forgot he had a child, you know. But a little five year old just remembers the terror and, gee, I can't even read yet. You know, I don't even know where I am. So, the the pain of those unfinished incidents where there was pain, but you couldn't fully process the pain because you didn't have an adult that you trusted enough to hold you and let you cry and scream and maybe even get angry. You, every child needs somebody that holds them while they're in pain to show them that, ah, you can calm your nervous system fairly quickly. With co-regulation, and that's one body to another body, but it's usually an adult to a child. Mm -hmm. So, if we got co-regulation as children, we're better able to calm our triggers and calm that fear of emotional pain. Oh, I'm getting rejected, or oh, she's controlling me. You know, that's that's what the triggers feel like. Mm -hmm. I mean, those those are words that play in the mind. But if you've learned through early childhood to soothe yourself. Then you'll quickly get back to calmness, the, the book, again, from triggered to tranquil. But mm-hmm. what most of us need to do is we have to con- learn to calm ourselves. We need to learn to reparent ourselves.
1: Let's talk about that. I think that's a really good point that you make about co-regulation. I have been meeting a lot of people that have said things to me, um, actually men I've been dating mostly, that aren't as affectionate and, and I'm kind of not used to that because I've had a lot of partners that have been very affectionate. So because mm-hmm. that was my experience, I was like, oh, this is just the way most people are. But then I experienced that it actually wasn't at all. And I asked one of, the, one of them, I said, you know, and I said it in a nice way, like, oh, I've noticed that you're not as affectionate as <laughs> me. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. I'm interested to explore why that is. And he, and he straight away said, Oh, my mm-hmm. mother
0: didn't hug me when I was young. Yeah, people are beginning to have more insight into the connection between the past and how we are in adult relationships. So that's, that's good. Then the next question is, Well, would you like to learn to be more affectionate? Right, <laughs> you know, Value of yours or not, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. Because he said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, you're not the first person who said that. Nice. And, and it was interesting as well that he said, my mother... My mother mm-hmm. didn't hug me, like didn't say mm-hmm. anything about his father. Yeah. So we, it's just interesting reflection that we tend to associate affection when we're young from our mothers, not some of fathers. others, which, which yeah. I'm not sure is necessarily the case these days.
0: Um, well, a lot of fathers are getting very hands-on with their children and you know, have been for some years, and it's getting better and better. So um, if the mother falls down on the job, the father can pick it up.
1: Yeah. So let's say we are in that situation like that person who, who identified that. Mm-hmm. How do they learn then? If they haven't had it for so long and they're in their 40s, mm-hmm. how do they learn that skill of, I guess, co- like uh, solo co-regulation?
0: <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, one of the things that's going to happen to that kind of a guy, we'll, you know, we'll say, okay, we'll make that guy now. Yep. Um, if they get in relationships, their female partner, let's say if she's like Talia, she <laughs> might eventually, maybe not in the beginning because you're giving each other the benefit of the doubt, but, but she might eventually start getting unhappy with him. So here's, here's the story. Here's the way the story tends to go. Okay. Everybody's in love and no, they're different, but okay. But then she starts to get unhappy with him. That is the thing that will trigger this avoidant type most, is somebody being upset with you. Well, you know, something about the detached family culture that you grew up in, you know, slightly detached. We just want to live and let live. That, that, it's that kind of a culture that creates a, a person like him. And so I'm rewarded for my achievements, for making people happy. So all of a sudden, my girlfriend's unhappy with me. She's, she's like going... I can't be in this room she's threatened to leave or something, right. so, all, so now she gets his attention and he starts to feel not good enough. that's typically what this person will feel. Oh, there's something that I didn't learn that she needs, and I really love her. I want her in my life, but I don't know how to deliver what mm-hmm. she wants so that that won't all be conscious at first it'll be like. You know I'm a good guy, why aren't you happy with me and right. uh, peel away a little layers of oh, quite a few women like this guy had quite a few women have told me I'm not very affectionate, and maybe there is something that I really could could learn here and if I were working with this guy, I would invite him to feel some of the pain of Either the fear of losing her or the fear that you're not good enough, that you can't deliver, or you don't know what to say when all this emotion comes at you because you're not used to that. Like, start to feel the discomfort in yourself. That's the doorway to becoming more loving, more sensitive, because he starts to feel, oh, yeah, I'm kind of I'm hurting here. I'm kind of scared. And so we start with the, the work, the trigger work, and I call it trigger work. It's a, really a form of inner self-exploration, inner healing. starts with a frustrating event that created some kind of a feeling, a painful feeling. And you start by breathing, opening up space. To let that pain be there, that pain that has to do with maybe I'm not good enough. And now I start to feel, oh, a memory of some time when something was, maybe something was expected of me. I'm thinking of a, of a client that I worked with, and he was, he was about five years old, and the whole, whole family went out for ice cream, and they bought this nice ice cream cake, and they were going to bring it home to eat together. And the grandparents were there, and there were you know whole family around. And for some reason, the father gives the little five year old the ice cream cake to carry, and he doesn't. You know, and so this is like his traumatic memory, <laughs> setting he him up. for... He, yeah, you can feel this, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Totally. Cake, and everybody, you know, first everybody's like mad at him and disappointed, and he had he had no memory of, of this, but mm. he was one, you know, one of these not to not too feeling oriented not not too affectionate guys but then he began to feel empathy for this little 5 year old mm. who I never asked to be carrying the ice cream cake You're right um, so that's what I get people to do is first feel the feeling and then sometimes memories will come that Are the way that that fear and that sensitivity that you're kind of running away from now in your adult relationship? You know, I don't want to, I don't want to depend on anybody too much because you know I'll just let them down. Mm -hmm. You feel your own sensitivity because everybody's got something. If your adult relationship can cause a, a little bit of distress in your life, it can motivate you to look deeper in, and you'll find that core pain, and that is what needs healing and how you heal it is with self-compassion. And, you know, it's like this. And so I, I will say to the guy, imagine that this is you, you know, your much loved child and you're holding him and just being with him and comforting him. So I'll do things like that to help activate the self-compassion.
1: That's a really great example with the ice cream. Yeah. That poor kid was totally set up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, and so many forgotten things, you know, so many of us have and, and, and listeners will go, well, that's not traumatic. No, it's not traumatic in a, in, in any big sense, but right. sometimes those things really stay with a kid. Mm-hmm. Kids are more sensitive than we realize. Yeah. That that's called a micro trauma, isn't
1: it? Because I, I think that people think that trauma is like, you know, sexual assault or a car accident or something that's really huge. And obviously that is tra- trauma, but there are small things. Like when you told that story, like, I, I don't know if you remember this, um, but when you're when I was a child, when you did get in trouble, it was literally like there was this dark cloud over your head and mm-hmm. the world was closing in on you when you knew you were in trouble because you yeah. didn't have the emotional capacity to know where to put that feeling. Mm-hmm. And that's the best way I can describe it. And I, and I remember thinking, like, I literally felt like my throat was tightening up. Like I was like, I was in trouble. Mm -hmm. And then when I grew up and realized, oh, hang on, first of all, because when you're a kid, when you're five, you think that everyone else is right and you're wrong automatically. So you're like, okay, they must be right. And they're saying these things about me. And, oh, my gosh, I'm such a terrible person because I did whatever, dropped the cake or whatever. And it's just so intense. So that is traumatic. That stores somewhere. and, And, like, where does it go? And, and yeah. so, okay, what, let's use the cake example because this is a really good one. How would we work through that earlier on in life? Like ideal, in an absolute ideal scenario, dream, mm-hmm. like some a psychologist is the parent of this child. <laughs> how, would, how would we release that at an earlier age? So we didn't- At an earlier
0: age, <laughs> the, somebody would see that the little boy is upset. They would go, oh, honey- of course, you're going to feel bad, you know, because, you know, we're obviously unhappy with something and it centers on you. So, oh, honey, this must feel hard for you right now. That was a lot of responsibility we gave you. And just kind of, what do you feel? Just being with, you know, go ahead right. and cry. It's okay to be upset. Mm-hmm. So if you let the child cry themselves out and you're just there and attending to them, maybe. Maybe they don't need too much. Maybe they don't actually need too much. Or maybe you watch them for a while, and five minutes from now, they're starting to cry. Mm -hmm. Maybe they froze. And so maybe you'll watch for some kind of opening where you can get back to letting the child move the energy. We want to move the energy of upset. And kids naturally cry and scream and shake and those are those are good things, but a lot of adults suppress that. Mm,
1: because they're uncomfortable with it. Yeah. Mm,
0: they're yeah in, that- in a public place or whatever, you know, right. they've got some should in their head that we shouldn't allow this.
1: Right. Or they're feeling judgment from others and they're letting that control their parenting style.
0: But if this but if this now this adult, like well, you, the dread thing. So if if you are in a intimate relationship, and you start to feel something like that dread thing, then that's, that's sort of the early warning sign that you're starting to get triggered. And so we, we know that if we just sit with that feeling long enough, when you were in that dread state, or when that little boy dropped the cake, the feelings, you mentioned it, the feelings are very intense sometimes, or other mm-hmm. people's feelings are very intense. And a small person's nervous system cannot really process a lot of intense emotions, Mm. especially painful things. So we just naturally shut down. Mm. So you might naturally freeze or shut down at whatever age, you know, age 7 to 11 or something, you know, you naturally shut down around feelings. So what we want to do is reactivate the feelings that you shut down around give you some breath practices, some grounding practices. So it's not just about guiding you in toward the pain. It's also bringing other resources to bear so that you really are a strong enough parent this time to support your inner child. And the, your your inner child really is in an in adult body right now. So you can handle more intensity than you right. You just kind of don't know it. But yeah. Well, relationships give us a chance to find out.
1: Mm, yeah, they certainly do. If <laughs> we've got someone willing to take yeah. that journey with us. It's interesting because, I don't know, from the outside, you know, you look at certain people in your life and you, you're like, oh, you know, they must have a great relationship, but from the outside they look so great, but you really never know what's going on in someone's relationship. And a, a friend of mine was just telling me the other day she had dinner with some very they're in a high-profile mastermind. These, these women earn a lot of money. And they were talking, they had a chat about how all their partners have real problem with them earning more money than them. And all of the women earn more money than their partners and all of the men, and they're all in heterosexual relationships and all of the men have issue with that. And they all talked about how they navigate that. And it, it's really, really interesting. To, it was just interesting to hear that these people from the outside seem You know, peachy, yeah. Everyone's got their journeys,
0: right? That's that's a whole different level of problem. That would be a trigger then for a lot Mm. of men. Yeah, Uh, not enough somehow. It's too bad. It's too bad. Our culture kind of puts that on. I mean, if if it's it's okay with the two individuals, then it's then it's okay. But sometimes it's not okay with the woman who's making, you know, and she she might slightly get a little bit more entitled because she makes more money so she can do whatever she wants. Cause right. a lot of times money does that to you, you know, even in a intimate relationship. So you, you got to watch out for that because that, that's going to trigger, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah, that
1: trigger your partner. Yeah. That is going to trigger your partner. Yeah. And I think also as well that sometimes with that, there's a sense of resentment, people not valuing work. Like for example, a friend of mine recently, we were having a conversation and he just said, he said that basically he said in a nutshell that he doesn't think that his wife's job of raising the children is as valuable as his job. And I know, and I was like, first of all, typical, second of all, second of all, that's really disappointing because, because she does, she doesn't get any time off. Like it's around the clock. So it kind of baffled me as well. Like, I was like, oh, okay. Like, you know, and I said, oh, you really believe that? And he's like, yeah, I really believe that. And I was like, okay. I mean, I don't know how she feels about that. Obviously, I didn't get into it with any, any of them and didn't ask any more questions besides that. But I thought, how would you move through that? Because there is going to be some level of resentment there. There's definitely going to be some issue there.
0: Well, unless the two agree, you know, if the two partners agree that, yes, you've got the harder job as the breadwinner, so I should kind of serve you. I mean, that's a model. That's not my model. Most mo- most of your yep. listeners are going to mind quality. You know, most of us are right. a l- little beyond th- that wifey does it, whatever the husband's bidding is. My mother and father had a traditional thing. He worked, she stayed mm-hmm. home and took care of the kids, and they both thought they had a good deal. And I think there was a undercurrent of you know, father's job is more important. So we have to move. Like when my father got a promotion, we would have to move and my mother wouldn't say, we can't move. I don't want to move. I'm settled here. My mother would not even think to say that. They honestly seemed to me, and I knew them pretty well. And my parents, they seemed pretty happy with the deal. Right. Um, but yeah, there's room for resentment all over the place mm. when there's any kind of inequality.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point, though. Like if you're OK, if that's your agreement, because mm-hmm. lots of relationships have lots of different agreements. I mean, we can even talk about, you know, ethically non-monogamous relationships. Uh, lots of people would not be into that model of relationship, but lots of people are into that model of relationship and they have agreements and they're OK with those
0: agreements. So I think that's, you know, a really important distinction to make I think that's key because a lot of times people don't try to get agreement. They just fight over something uh, like if, if you're you're the guy who's I mean, you're the partner who has the job and I don't have a job, then you're the one who dictates whether we're going to move or not. Right. You know, they don't they don't have they don't ever have a conversation about it, though. And then the, the opportunity for us to move happens and they've never talked about it and they don't even know how to talk about it. Mm. Uh, it's not talking about things. That really leads to deep rifts between the two people.
1: Yeah, and I always say that like it—it kind of sets a precedent of the next level of communication. Like, if you don't talk about it the first time, then Mm -hmm. I think subconsciously you both go, "Oh, we can kind of get away with not talking about this." So we'll do it again next time. We won't talk about it again, and then you keep doing it, and then you know you wake up thirty years later, and you haven't talked about anything. And you've got to start all this work that you're talking about right now 30 years later, which is, you know, now's a better time than not right. starting at all. But it's just so much more ingrained by then, isn't it?
0: Yeah. But now with shows like yours and books like mine, people are realising that it's up to me to create the life that I want. And if it's two people in a couple – up to us to create the kind of relationship that works for us and it requires communication and making agreements and seeing if we're enough on the same page like for monogamy that's got to right. be talked about right away right. Know, are we on the same page with some of these things if yep. we're not can we negotiate some of these differences and or move on
1: yeah if it's a huge deal breaker like I guess the monogamy
0: or non-monogamy one would be <laughs> A pretty big deal breaker. right up there with do we want to have kids or not? Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> okay, awesome. I, um, you know, I, I, I love the, the title of your book, From Trigger to Tranquil. Um, <laughs> it kind of like beautifully skips over all the work in between, right. <laughs> <laughs> in between tr- the journey between trigger to tranquil, right? Um, you know, I, I feel like uh, I, I kind of like in emotions to. Like okay, let's talk about my backyard. I've got a backyard, and they're all my 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 pool of emotions. And mm-hmm. the sun shines on one part of the pool. It's mm-hmm. like that's the awareness, isn't it? The sun shining on that specific yeah, it's
0: awareness mm-hmm. moment.
1: And then after the awareness, then mm-hmm. I got to do the work. Then you're like, oh man, now I can't unsee this.
0: <laughs> can't unsee it. Yeah, that's that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I remember someone saying. Uh,
1: someone saying something to me ages ago I was a guy I was dating we weren't in a relationship we dated a couple of times and he said something to me that really triggered me he basically made an observation uninvited observation (laughs) about me and I I felt really triggered and I I actually my response was anger and I don't normally respond like that Mm -hmm. I think it was because it was unsolicited I was like ah you know I don't remember asking (laughs) Asking for your opinion on that. <laughs> That's but, a good comeback right there. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, he said that thing. And then I don't think that we spoke again after that. I think that was the end of it. But I, I thought about that moment for a long time. I thought, what was it about what he said? Because for me, I kind of think if I get triggered and my reaction is like it was that day, for me, I don't know if this is true for everyone, but I kind of feel like there must have been some truth to what he said. Otherwise, why did I get so
0: triggered? Because it if must there's. Have been not truth so much, but hooked into one of your fears. So, truth in the sense that whatever he said about you, there might be a part of you that's saying that about yourself, but it's not that it's really true about yourself. Like, you're not good enough is one of the classic voices, or you're not lovable. I mean, we don't realize, but we do have those voices inside of us. Some of us are, you know, kind of easy to overlook those, but. They're they're down there somewhere for many of us. So if if he said something that had, you know, had to do with an evaluation of you, it it might plug into your own negative self-evaluation. But but that negative self-evaluation probably isn't true anyway. Right. So that's what a comment on the true piece.
1: Well, that's good to hear because I was definitely like, maybe he's right. <laughs>
0: Because you haven't worked through that fear about yourself yet.
1: Right. Yeah. It was very interesting because it honestly very rarely happens that I react like that. But um, Mm -hmm. I think it also didn't help that it was unsolicited. I think that's what kind of irked me the most.
0: Yeah, because when we're taken by surprise, if somebody had, you know, there's something I want to bring up and I wonder if you're open to it, you have a chance to prepare yourself and kind of get centred so you know, there's some advice, folks. You know, help people out, help yourself be heard. Maybe give a little preamble if you're going to deliver some harsh news, right? Or difficult feedback, because then you might be more centered and go, hmm, I don't like hearing that, uh, but let me take a look at that. You know, that right. type
1: of. Oh man, I love I love the language examples you give. That that's so great. Like I have. Well, what was it? I have something to talk about and I wonder if you're open to it. Okay. Yeah. okay. Let's role play that for a sec. Because if someone said okay. that to me, I'm just imagining myself saying that to a guy that I've dated before and he yeah. would say, well, well, what's it about? He'd say, mm-hmm. what's it about? Before I, I can't answer that unless I know what it's about.
0: Mm-hmm. So what would you say to that? Well, what are you afraid it's about? <laughs> <laughs> I might make a joke, you know, but, there's, a, a, but there's some meaning to my jokes, you right. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's to everyone's jokes. I want to make it safe. I mean, in a way that, for me, humor, of course, it might not be true for the other person, because I grew up in a humor-oriented household, and it was safe, and we teased each other. So if I said, what what are you afraid it's going to be about? He, He might not find that funny actually, now that I realize it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my I think I self-talk to Susan, you're so insensitive.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I love it. Make light of, I have, a, I have a friend, he makes jokes of everything. And I'm like, dude, is this really the time for jokes? He's like, this is the perfect time for jokes.
0: Yeah, that's a good challenge to me. Uh, if they say I don't, uh, it depends on what it is. I might just sit with that a little, I mean, just to Continue that for maybe some of our listeners got interested in that. So, well, so the joke maybe didn't work, you know, or I didn't say the joke, just, oh, okay. Then what that says to me, here's, here's what I might sincerely say that says to me that maybe, maybe I would need to be really mindful of your feelings. So I'm, I'm, that's, what's coming up for me right now. And then just say that, right. Because he's telling me that he's not like, Oh sure, just you know, let me have it. He's not right. that type of a person. He's a little bit cautious. So I want to honor that. I want to match that energy as a as a real, authentic other person. I'm not trying to like play to him. It really affects me when somebody sounds like they're a little cautious. I, it makes me want to be a little cautious too with them in a in a appropriate way, I think.
1: Mm. Yeah. Okay.
0: Awesome. So those are in my better moments, you know, then sometimes I'm shooting off my mouth like everybody else.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I love that. Yeah. So if we're going to bring it up, we need to be really aware and sensitive to them. Yes. That would have probably helped the situation in my (laughs) instance. Yeah.
0: I think. Or if he had noticed that you were bothered and said, Oh gosh, I didn't mean to, I didn't, I didn't want to say something hurtful. But now I realize why that would have been hurtful, you know, and so, you know, acknowledgement of your feelings. That's what we learn after we do some of this trigger work. we more sensitive to our own nuanced feelings, and we can become more aware of other people's nuances and kind of do a, a more sensitive dance together.
1: Yeah, I love that. Dr. Campbell, <laughs> I um. Could talk to you all day as as usual, but <laughs> we do have to wrap up. But Before we do, I, I want to see if you could please walk us through the five steps of trigger work.
0: Yeah, and the first the first half of the book is based on these five steps. So the first step is acceptance. Just yep, I have triggers, and you know, and I'm still a valid human being. And the next one is very important. The next step is knowing your own unique trigger signature. What are the things that you do when you're triggered? What are the kinds of things that trigger you? Like, is it a tone of voice or does it always have to do with criticism? So you learn about your trigger signature so you can recognize the early warning signs and stop. Stop what you're doing. Stop talking. Stop thinking, you know, racing thoughts about the other person blaming or whatever goes on once you're triggered. So there's acceptance your trigger signature then once you see you're triggered learning how to pause and calm and self-soothe so there's a lot of practices in there that help you become more resourceful so you're actually kind of a bigger holding environment to hold more intensity because that's what happens with parents you know they can hold a screaming child for you no know, even maybe 5 minutes but if it goes to 10 minutes whoosh, they can't hold it any longer. So we become better containers for emotion. And then self, the self-compassion is the next step, going deeper in. And I was kind of showing what that looked like. Is you start with that feeling of, oh, I dropped, I, I dropped the ice cream cake. And then, oh, and then the feelings of they're disappointed with me. And you just kind of stay with the feelings until you can bring some empathy and tenderness towards yourself. And then the final step is only appropriate when you've gotten triggered with somebody else and the two of you have kind of gotten into a fight. And the last is going back and making up after the fight and how to say you're sorry, how to say, "Oh, well, here's what was really going on. I was triggered. I didn't mean that. Well, my insecure feeling and my insecure need was I really need to feel that my voice matters." Or I need your help feeling that I am good enough. So you end with a vulnerable statement to take all the blame out of it, all, all the finger pointing and, and be soft together again. So after a trigger, you can actually get closer to a partner. That's the best part, isn't
1: it? I, I, I kind of call it leveling up in your relationship. You, yeah. you, you have a blowout, you have a fight, and then you get closer because you make up in a way that helps you understand more deeply the other person. Yes. And yes. Yourself. Dr. Campbell, I think that's an amazing place to end this conversation. Thank you so much for being here, as always. I have loved this. If people want to find out more about you, how can
0: they get in touch with you? My website is susancampbell.com. And if you want to subscribe to my newsletter and hear about my free week, free monthly group coaching call, then go ahead and subscribe. It's right there on the homepage. It says subscribe. I'll send you a free ebook called Getting Real Confidence that is not published, but it's something I send to my subscribers. And then my newsletter comes once a month and you can go, well, well, when's the free coaching call this month? And how do I get on? It's a Zoom call. So I offer that uh, to anyone who's interested in my work. And then there's also sometimes on the website, I publicize um, workshops and webinars and free things like podcasts when i'm on a podcast so Mm -hmm. you you can usually get a few free things um that have to do with my work
1: Mm -hmm. my
0: work is under the the banner of getting real how to free ourselves from the fears and limited thinking of the ego mind you know (laughs) so that's that's my brand getting real I love it.
1: I love your brand. Everything, every conversation we have is just so amazing. I really, really love your style and your energy. So thank you again so much for being here. And I'd urge anyone listening to definitely get on that monthly call with Dr. Campbell. Um, She's amazing. And you can listen to episode five. Um, So this is Dr. Campbell's second episode on the Rebel Love podcast. So you can go to um, rebellove.com forward slash EP5 for the first episode And if you'd like the show notes to this episode, you can find all the links mentioned uh, at rebellove.com forward slash EP53. Thank you again so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Talia. Thanks for listening to the Rebel Love Podcast, the podcast about love, sex, and relationships. If you like this episode, please support us by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform and find all the details of this episode and more at rebellove.com forward slash podcast.